Hello, I'm Adam Riley. It's Wednesday, July 23rd, and you're listening to the Scrum Podcast. Each week on the Scrum, we talk about politics and media from Beacon Hill to the Beltway. This week, joining us is Maura Healy, a candidate for Massachusetts Attorney General, and I believe our first ever statewide candidate. Maura, thanks for being here, and congratulations. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Also with me, as he often is, is Scrum regular David Bernstein, uh, WGBH's political analyst and a contributing editor at Boston Magazine. Hello, David. Oh, so good to be here, Adam. So we're going to be trying to get uh, Maura Healy to talk about a bunch of hefty substantive issues. But first, I want to start with a couple insubstantial things. This market basket saga, which I know David thinks has been getting too much attention in the media. I can't get enough of it. Uh, have you been following it as closely as the rest of us? Absolutely. And I'm a, a market basket shopper, have been for years. So um, I'm, uh, I'm amazed to, to witness the show of support and the strength of workers coming together, of management. And I really hope that um, they can work something out, out there. Which market basket do you go to? Uh, the supermarket basket in Chelsea. Okay. I live in Charlestown, and that's one nearest to us. That's actually a beautiful market basket. It's like the Whole Foods of market baskets. It's amazing. 36, yeah. 37 aisles. Um, I've yet to figure out a time to go when it's not buzzing. It right. is always busy, always hopping. David, do you want to get in a quick complaint about those of us in the media like me who've been covering this? No, no, that's, that, no? that's great. No, I, I think it's, it's newsworthy. I just, I feel like it's not a flood the zone kind of story that some are treating it like. That's all. Yeah. That's all. I wasn't making a big deal. All right. Now, the, the next insubstantial thing before we get to, to good, you know, matters of heft is I want to know more about your professional basketball career. You played at Harvard, right? I did. And where did you play professionally after college? I played for a team in Salzburg, Austria. It was uh, UBBC Wusternrat. Wusternrat was the name of the bank over there that sponsored us. And uh, it was a terrific couple of years so, playing overseas. So it was the equivalent of you know, being in bed with Wall Street, basically, is, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, they put they put a uniform on my back, I'll say. Uh, by the way, uh, you can't see this uh, at home, but uh, Maura will be spinning basketballs through the entire podcast, <laughs> doing tricks. Your position? Point guard. Do you still play? Still too short, for my liking. All of five foot four. I always wished I had a couple more inches on me. They always listed me at five, six in the program. But I was actually only 5'4". Do you think you could take Scott Brown? He has an outside shot. A tough, you know, he's taller than you. The story of my life is everybody's been taller than me. Um, no, I'd, lo I'd love to take Scott Brown. He's in New Hampshire now, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of all the possibilities. Like a half-hour special. <laughs> should, we move on, should we move on to um, to, to more purely political matters? David, do you want to kick things off? Sure. You know, this probation trial is going on. And we were sort of talking about the perception at least, that the U.S. attorney has sort of taken the lead in going after politicians uh, here in Massachusetts. Do you think that they've taken an appropriate role? And do you think that, that the AG's uh, office should have taken more of a role or, or, you know, in this case and other cases? Well, I think that the way it works generally when it comes to these kinds of matters is that um, there's an assessment uh, made and, and the feds consult with the state uh, and vice versa about um, evidence, about possible charges, about potential penalties and the like. And then decisions are made about which office is better situated to prosecute a matter. And I think that's that's uh, what we've seen. The attorney general's office has prosecuted public corruption cases. Um, my view as, as attorney general would be 
to absolutely hold people's feet to the fire and ensure accountability in the system. And that means investigating um, and and robustly prosecuting any matter of, of public corruption because the public the public needs to have trust in our system and in our government. Would you have prosecuted the uh, Tim Cahill and uh, and the other uh, associated cases, uh, which were not ultimately successful uh, in court? Would you have gone about them the same way? You know, I think that the attorney general's office acted appropriately with the with the information it had and the evidence it had before it. Um, I wasn't part of of those cases. I wasn't part of the criminal bureau. Um, but I can only offer my view as to sort of going forward. And and as I say. If I, as attorney general, have information brought to me or to my staff that speaks of of corruption, it's something that's going to get a a real thorough look and will be really thoroughly investigated. And um, I just believe that that integrity in the system is so important to to people in this state. I should point out that we're recording this with no verdict yet having come down in Mm -hmm. the uh, the O'Brien case. What do you think of the, I guess it's not that new anymore, but the public corruption law that was passed, what, about a year ago, maybe a couple years ago? Yeah. Is it a good law, do you think, or does it need to be amended? I think that we're, we're, we're seeing how it plays out right now in real time with these trials and we'll be better able to assess, you know, in the coming weeks and months. I think that a law like that, though, is really important. I think people are sick and tired of, of patronage and a system that rewards relationships and transactional relationships over merit. I think that the people of the state deserve something different and deserve something more and better. Um, and, you know, that's my view as, as, as a candidate for attorney general. I know I come to this outside of Beacon Hill and outside of the political establishment. Um, But frankly, I think that my independence coming into this will give me a better opportunity to both uh, 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 make make good on on that um, independence and integrity in the system and ensuring that and hold people accountable. I'm curious how you're finding it uh, in terms of that independence and in becoming part of the political world, because that's what you are now doing. And you're obviously out there. You're trying to raise money from people who, you know, run businesses or are involved in in things that you might then be investigating. Certainly, if you become the Democratic Party nominee, I imagine you're going to get a lot of help from the same kinds of politicians that any other, you know, and then you'll be worrying about reelection and all that sort of thing. What are you finding right now in terms of, you know, entering that world from the non-political prosecutorial Position that you've been in. I mean, the last eight or nine months that I've uh, been in this campaign have just been wonderful, and I've been so heartened by the support and the um, energy and enthusiasm for this race, for this campaign, and for what I think is my vision of the office. Um, and you know, in terms of how things have gone, I started this as an unknown. I realize that. Um, I did not come out of the legislature. I did not come with years of experience uh, running for office or holding office. But, you know, it's just been a process of weeks and months of of work getting to know people, letting them get to know me. I'm heartened that I have support from some elected officials, but I'm also um, heartened by the support I have from the organizations I have supporting me. And at the end of the day, the tremendous team of grassroots volunteers, delegates who, who, who voted for me at the convention, and the people who continue to come on board and support us day after day. At the end of the day, that's what I need. I, I need to get the most votes on September 9th. So just to follow up um, on what David asked, what if you had a campaign donor who, um, you know, you, you receive a donation during the campaign, you're elected attorney general, and a couple years down the road, it comes to your attention that this individual 
has engaged in some behavior that may be questionable and possibly illegal, would you find it challenging to then prosecute this hypothetical campaign donor? Not at all. That's my job. That's my responsibility. Is it something that you're feeling odd about or that you sense like, oh, this is something I'll have to deal with down the line, you know, these kinds of conflicts and pressures? How do I keep these straight or is it not an issue for you? It's it's not an issue for me, David. You know, the last seven years I was in the attorney general's office, first as head of the Civil Rights Division, later as head of the Public Protection Bureau and the Business and Labor Bureau, um, overseeing about half of the attorneys and staff in that office. And you can imagine that over the last seven years, there have been uh, every any number of instances where there have been pressures, uh, where there's been commentary uh, and the like from the outside, um, sometimes from constituents, sometimes from companies, sometimes from organizations, sometimes from elected officials. And, you know, I've, I've had the uh, chance to, to deal with and, and, and work with all of that. Um, and, you know, I understand, I understand that dynamic. And I understand fundamentally that at the end of the day, it's really important that the attorney general and her teams um, are going to make judgments and exercise discretion in a way that's best for people in the state. And that's me, what I've been doing. That's what I'd do as attorney general. Let me throw one more question on this general um, topic at you. You said earlier that you think that people are um, tired of patronage and people getting positions based on who they know as opposed to merit. But as the judge in the O'Brien case has repeatedly reminded the jurors and the general public, probation in and of itself is not a crime. And I'm wondering if you think that there needs to be some sort of bigger structural change in Massachusetts, possibly a legal change, possibly more of an administrative change that would make patronage, if not criminal, something that the state simply didn't allow the way it does right now. Um, I'm not suggesting that. What I what I do, uh, and I want to be clear about this, um, I think that people are tired of the specter of, of patronage, um, of the stories, of the allegations there are so many good people in government. I had the privilege and the opportunity to work with wonderful people in government um, and, and public servants, public employees, including in the probation department, who day in and day out are showing up, doing their jobs, and doing them well. It only takes a few bad apples, though, um, to, to, to ruin that and to leave the public with skepticism and, and cynicism about the process. And I just think it's really important as attorney general, with the ability to investigate and pursue corruption, um, that, that, that we do that so that people have faith in the system. Um, in terms of other laws or, or changes that need to be made, uh, we'll see. But I sure know that as I run the AG's office, I'm going to make sure that we are bringing in the best and the brightest and the people who are most committed to delivering um, for the public interest. The uh, partner's health care deal, uh, the current attorney general is taking some flack on it. I'm curious what your thought about it is and whether, you know, she she was in the lead sort of making the, the argument uh, and delivering reports saying that partners and others were sort of too big and, and this was causing a lot of the cost containment problem that we had. Did she go about it the right way? I think that um, the, <clears throat> the attorney general and the attorney general's office has gone about healthcare and looking at the dynamics uh, the right way. If you look back these many years, the Attorney General's office put forward and published those reports on what was causing increased costs in healthcare in the state. And I think that kind of transparency, that information was really important to informing the legislature, informing entities like the newly formed Health Policy Commission. And that's a role that the Attorney General's office should continue to, to stake out and own 
uh, going forward. In terms of this deal, look, I think, you know, it's easy for people to take pot shots from the sidelines. This is a complicated area. In the, in, the, in the context of any settlement agreement, you are evaluating what's on the table, what can you get through negotiation versus what are the risks of going to court and what are you going to end up with or not end up with. And at this point, I think it's really important that there is debate, there is this comment period um, between now and September, and the judge is reviewing the agreement. Look, the devil's going to be in the details, and I know that uh, the job of the next attorney general will be to make sure that uh, whether or not this agreement is finalized, that we are working very hard each day to figure out ways to drive down costs while ensuring access to affordable care. A big part of the attorney general's job is, like you were just describing, sort of making these decisions. A lot of times her department heads are, you know, People like you are coming up and saying, mm-hmm. here's where this case or this investigation stands. What is What have you observed about Martha Coakley's decision-making process? How does she go about that? And, and what have you taken from that and what would you do in terms of your process? I think it's... I think it's been an office, um, and she's run an office that has been uh, smart and informed. Her style was one of of taking in information, listening to her teams, uh, debating and uh, and discussing recommendations, and really vetting it within the office. And, you know, I imagine uh, that that's what went on with respect to this very partner's agreement, that this was something that was thoroughly discussed and debated uh, and the like. And so, you know, that's certainly the kind of office that I will run where I want people to come forward with their best recommendations that are thoughtful, that are informed, where they've heard from stakeholders, uh, a diverse array of stakeholders. At the end of the day, it is the AG who's going to be called upon to make the final decision. That's something I welcome, but it's a decision informed um, by information um, because I think with more information uh, analysis, you're able to make the, the best kind of judgments. That's the kind of office I run. Also, I'd run an office where disagreement was encouraged because you want to have you want to have the debate, you want to have the dialogue. And just to be clear, is that a description of the current AG's office, would you say? I would. Okay. Absolutely. You mentioned people uh, finding it easy to take pot shots from the sidelines in connection with this partner's deal. I'm wondering if, if that is a, um, a frustration for people who work as uh, attorneys, maybe in particular work as prosecutors, and then end up running for higher office. Do you think that, is it frustrating to you to see the general public, people without legal credentials, questioning a particular uh, decision that was made, maybe arguing that a, a certain decision was made for political reasons when, in fact, as you see it, there were sound legal principles involved? No, I don't find it frustrating. I think that's the nature of the business and, and the work that you do. Um, inevitably, you're not going to please any everyone with decisions that are made about who to charge, who to investigate, whether to settle a matter, how to settle it. That just goes along with the territory. You know, I remember years ago, we brought the first civil rights case against a mortgage broker because lending practices there ended up charging black and Latino borrowers more. It was a $10 million settlement. We were able to restructure uh, hundreds of loans and get money in, in, back in the pocket of borrowers. It was a terrific settlement. Um, but even with that, there was, there was comment and criticism, as there, as there is with any, any real resolution. So part of it, though, um, Adam, I think, is it, there's always an opportunity to, uh, and it's really important 
that you be clear with the public and you talk to the public about I- explaining your actions and why you took a, a, took a certain position. And that's certainly what I will what I'll be sure that we do. I, I know that, that guns have been a big part of this uh, campaign back and forth between you and Warren Tolman. What can you realistically do? And is it is it the right place for the attorney general's office to put a lot of you know, political energy and resources. Absolutely. You know, I look at issues of gun violence as a civil rights issue. I come at this as a civil rights lawyer. I think it's a civil rights issue. I think it's a public health issue. You look at so many gun deaths in this state are by suicide. You look at the number of gun deaths in this state that involve domestic violence incidents, and there sure is a place for an attorney general in this arena. I'm proud to have uh, supported the, the legislation and talked about the legislation uh, on the campaign trail. Um, but I'll tell you, we can do things as attorney general. You know, I can work with other state attorneys generals to combat gun trafficking. We've got a lot of eagle eagle guns coming into our into our state from other states, and I will work with them to track to crack down on gun trafficking. I will make sure that if this legislation is passed, and I hope it is, that gets Massachusetts signed up for the National Criminal Background database, that I work to make sure that implementation is smooth and effective. I will work even using Attorney General's funds and resources to um, amp up efforts at early uh, childhood violence prevention. We've got a lot of young people who are caught up in cycles of trauma, cycles of violence. They need access to mental health services. They need uh, access to programs like Youth Connect that really work to target young people and get them involved in constructive programs and activities. These are all things that I can do and support as AG. On uh, the casino gambling slash gaming front, uh, you've been pretty outspoken in your opposition to casinos. And I'm wondering if as you campaign, you're also going to be campaigning with people who are backing the repeal measure. Uh, Will you be sort of standing shoulder to shoulder with them, urging people to repeal the state's casino law? Um, You know, in terms of the casino issue, I'm glad to see it on the ballot. I was the first, uh, I think, statewide candidate to come forward and really call for it being on the ballot. I think that the voters should vote. And, you know, as a consumer advocate and somebody concerned about addiction, I am where I am and I support repeal. But I know that our next attorney general, when it comes to this issue, is going to have to uh, be a real independent regulator of the industry if we see gaming going forward here. And I'm the one candidate who brings that independence and also brings the experience of having been a consumer advocate, having run the Public Protection Bureau, um, and having uh, had experience with criminal prosecution. There are also issues with that as we uh, think about gaming and potential consequences. The other question I wanted to ask you then, David, I'll let you get the last one in. Uh, When we on Twitter asked people what they were interested in hearing you talk about, a a few people suggested we ask you about um, Catherine Clark, the current congresswoman, former state senator, her wiretapping bill that got a lot of attention uh, maybe about a year ago that would expand the um, state's ability to, to use wiretaps in a number of different situations. And prompted concern from, among others, the American Civil Liberties Union. What's your stance on that bill and that expansion of wiretapping powers? Well, I think as a general matter, we need to make sure that uh, law enforcement has the tools that it needs to uh, ensure public safety. I think on that bill, and I know since that bill was filed, there were different amendments and some concerns about the scope of offenses that would be subject to wiretaps. And uh, I've expressed concern uh, about the scope of, of the number of offenses and what you're looking to, to, to pull in. But I got to say, it's it, to my mind, it's really important that 
um, we update laws. In this instance, there's a there's a law that that um, you know, was drafted back in 1968, we need to make sure that law enforcement has the ability to work with modern forms of technology and evolving forms of technology. But certainly as a civil rights lawyer, um, I will be the strongest advocate to ensure that people's privacy is protected and that um, in law enforcement, people are acting in ways that protect people's constitutional rights and protecting privacy, protecting Fourth Amendment rights, incredibly important. I will be absolutely vigilant, um, both in terms of assessing proposed legislation and in carrying out actual enforcement within the attorney general's office. That's really, really important to me. You've sort of run as a progressive, I think, and, you know, are looked at. um, I mean, I think you and Warren Tolman both are looked at as as progressives. And there's some frustration among the progressive community uh, in criminal justice issues that district attorneys uh, tend to be a little bit um, uh, resistant, reluctant to moving ahead with the times in some ways. And we see an example of that with uh, this Supreme Court ruling about uh, parole for uh, for young offenders, you know, and, you know, huge re- reaction against ever letting a four- someone out who committed a crime of 14 um, on those types of things. Can you push the district attorneys in the state um, and the legislature, frankly, to to be more progressive on some of those issues. Or maybe you disagree. Maybe you're on their side on, on some of these issues, too. I've talked a lot about criminal justice reform and, and my view and my policy and plan on criminal justice reform. I do think um, that there is a need for criminal justice reform. I want to lead on that as attorney general. I want to lead and work with the district attorneys, work with the sheriffs, work with others in law enforcement, work with other uh, community groups and organizations on this issue. I think what we've seen is that, you know, if you look at our jails in particular, you see our jails uh, full of people who have mental health issues, uh, who have drug and substance abuse issues. And I want to really shift focus and resources into uh, drug abuse uh, prevention and, and treatment and mental health services. Uh, that's really important, and I think that that is, that is absolutely integral to, to, to criminal justice reform. I also want to uh, m- create meaningful what I call reentry, reintegration programs for those who are incarcerated. That means giving them uh, literacy training, vocational training, counseling, and the like, things that are going to help them succeed once they get out and, and make them less likely to, to reoffend. This is really important. It's good for the individual. It's good for the taxpayer at the end of the day. And so I think the time is now and that there are things that we can and should do. Um, it's certainly uh, why I've received the support of the progressives in this race, uh, in part because of my stand on needed criminal justice reform and my willingness to lead on this issue. And you think culturally there's maybe a little more appetite for that than there was, say, a decade or two ago? Absolutely. I mean, you look at what's happened in some of our southern states with Texas, uh closing jails and and creating new programs. You look at Attorney General Holder um, and recent decisions by the federal government to uh, have a a new look at sentencing and and let people out uh, ahead of schedule. So I think that there is an awareness and and an appetite for this, and I think we can make it happen here in Massachusetts. I want to lead on it. All right. uh, We have to go, but I got to ask you, just to flash back to where we started, how'd your team do in Salzburg when you were the point guard? Uh, Starting point guard? Starting point guard, yeah. That's why they flew me over and paid me a contract. Um, 
You know, we did well. We did well against teams in Austria. I remember going up against some of the Czech teams, tougher. Um, so it was it was. A, I heard a, you got an Olympic mixed. tryout one year. I did. When I was 16 years old, I was invited to Colorado Springs to try out for the Olympic team. Uh-huh. I was cut after the first session, but it sure was a hit. I was one of seven high school kids invited out. And, That's super cool. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was great. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's Scrum Podcast. Maura Healy, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Maura Healy is running for Massachusetts Attorney General, and David Bernstein is a political analyst here at WGBH and a contributing editor at Boston Magazine. You can find more from the Scrum on our blog, blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. And remember, you can find us in iTunes, too, so please subscribe already if you haven't. I'm Adam Riley. Our engineer is Jane Pippick, and our producer is Abby Ruzica. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Yeah, 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 yeah